0: Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. One in five individuals has a learning difference or attention challenge. While these individuals are in many cases just as capable as their peers, they face obstacles, stigma, and misconceptions that others do not. For 40 years, the National Center for Learning Disabilities has worked to create a society in which every individual possesses the academic, social and emotional skills needed to succeed in life. Today we are joined by attorney Megan Whitaker, director of policy and advocacy with the National Center for Learning Disabilities. Thanks for joining us today, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start by understanding your organization a little bit and some of the objectives. Can you tell us a little bit more about NCLD? So the National Center for
1: Learning Disabilities is a nonprofit advocacy organization, and we work to improve the lives of the one in five who have learning and attention issues. When we talk about learning and attention issues, we're talking about disabilities that affect areas like reading, writing, math, attention, processing, and executive functioning in students. Um, If you think about the federal special education law, IDEA, there's 13 categories of disability. We're often talking about students with specific learning disabilities, which is the largest category. Um, And some of these students have an IEP and have been diagnosed and others struggle without receiving that support in schools. So we work on behalf of all of those students who struggle with learning or attention issues. And we accomplish our mission uh, by empowering parents and young adults, by transforming schools and advocating for equal rights. And so in my role as the Director of Policy and Advocacy, I often work uh, with Congress or the Department of Education to influence change at a, a federal level We work to support laws or regulations, um, identify grant programs that can support students and change policies
0: to increase opportunities for students with learning and attention issues. Okay, and the present circumstances we find ourselves in, how is COVID-19 and virtual learning impacting students with learning disabilities? I'll start by saying that the experience of students will vary from student to student, school by school
1: and even district by district. Um, because no two districts are handling things the exact same way. And every child's experience right now is going to be different based on a number of factors. But there's three major issues that I often point to to understand what the impact has been for many students with learning disabilities. First, it relates to the social emotional needs of students the loss of routines and relationships and just that general school experience that they've been so used to. And when schools closed abruptly in the spring and students were sent home, that was a major disruption in the routines that they were used to. It was a disruption in the relationships that they had developed with teachers, with other students. Um, And for some school had been a safe place for them and maybe one of the only safe places. And this is beyond just students with learning disabilities, but just all students. So there's that social emotional impact Um, that we have to keep in mind. And at the same time, we know that this pandemic has uh, disproportionately impacted certain communities. Black communities have had a high fatality rate when it comes to COVID. Students may have lost family members. So there's this additional processing of loss, of grief, um, that goes with that and the stress that has come along with it. And then on top of that social emotional impact, there's the instructional loss that, that students with disabilities have experienced. Um, Many students with IEPs did not get services for months on end. Some did, some did not. So that will vary between schools or districts. Um, And so students who didn't get those required services through their IEP are likely going to be struggling even more to keep up with their virtual instruction. They may not have the accommodations that they need. Then the third issue really um, is around accessibility. Where virtual learning is happening, and that's a lot of places right now, we don't necessarily know that the instruction students are getting is high quality or fully accessible. There's software being used, instruction being delivered, and those things may not be designed with students with disabilities in mind. Parents at home may not know how to um, activate certain features in software to make Um, to turn on certain features or make that learning accessible for students, or it may not be compatible with the devices students use. So it's really important that we understand not just the social emotional aspect, but also the instructional aspect and accessibility issues relating to students. And what's I think most concerning is that for many years, students with disabilities have been really far behind their peers. If you look at the NAEP scores that just recently came out, um, the scores on reading and math have, have decreased for all students, but students with learning disabilities 90% 90% of them have been below proficient on math and reading. And then you add in the instructional loss here. Um, and it really points to the fact that we've got to do something different. We really have to rethink instruction and learning because
0: remediation isn't going to be enough going forward. So with students learning from home in so many instances right now, what what are some signs that parents can look for that their children might be struggling With a learning disability, and maybe I should clarify a little bit, you mentioned that some are identified and have IEPs and others may not have an IEP or be identified. So are there some things that parents can look for at home that might signify that some, you know, some attention is needed there?
1: Absolutely. And parents who are able to be at home with their kids right now have a unique vantage point. And a lot of them have told us they've been able to observe their child in a kind of a different environment, see how the child's participating in class, how they're completing assignments, what their strengths are and where they're struggling. So that's all really important information to share with your child's teacher who now doesn't get to see that child in the same light. Um, So learning from home is not going to be the same as in a classroom, of course, the kinds of supports or accommodations your child might need may differ. Um, so I definitely encourage parents to pay attention to signs of struggle. And those signs will differ based on the age of your child or the subject that you're talking about. Um, and you can learn more on our website. We, can, we have more of a list of age-appropriate signs and what parents should be looking for in reading and writing and math and attention. Um, but you, generally, when we're thinking about how do we know if a student's struggling, you can look for things like, is your child frustrated when doing their schoolwork? Are they um, avoiding certain things. Do they avoid handwriting? Do they avoid math? Um, and seeing how your, struggle, how your student is staying focused, how they're engaged in virtual classes or if they're not. Um, and of course, if they're completing their work but they're not achieving the expected scores that you, you might anticipate. Those are all signs that you may wanna to talk to your child's teacher to see are these new things or have have you been seeing them in the classroom before COVID? Are they persistent issues? Um, And all of that will help you know if you should look deeper into what's going on. Um, If they're new difficulties or if they're persistent difficulties, you might take different pathways. But the important thing here is partnership with schools. Um, It's really important that parents now in this new role of not just caretaker but kind of assistant teacher at home that they partner with with teachers to really understand what's going on understand what's expected of my child at this grade level and where are other students and how is my child comparing or is there something more that we need to dig into here
0: okay and so for parents of younger children you know we're talking about recognizing struggle signs and you know what to look for Can you tell us about the resources that you recently released to recognize some of these early signs in younger children that might not yet be identified?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think that the importance of looking at these early signs can't be understated. The brain is malleable. So the earlier we can identify issues, the better because learning and attention issues are brain-based disorders. If there are challenges in how your brain is working and the pathways that have been developed in your brain We can actually intervene to change those pathways and help your child um, do things differently and better handle the tasks associated with reading or math or writing. So the more we can intervene with those early experiences, the more effective intervention can be. Um, But all too often, we take this kind of wait and see approach. We say, oh, it's a normal part of child development or your child will catch up. But we know that for students with learning disabilities, they won't do so without intervention. And of course there are also social emotional benefits to intervening early, which is another reason why it's so important. Um, students who do struggle for a long time might experience higher rates of depression or anxiety or bullying. And so it's important that we avoid those consequences. And so NCLD um, recently launched a new tool called our LD checklist. Um, And we we had this checklist that had been created for many years, um, but we made it interactive. And so we launched it on our website just a couple months ago. um, And it lists for each, um, each kind of content area or skill area, based on your child's age, all of the signs of LD. And you can actually click through and check the the signs that you might be seeing in your child in areas like social skills, reading, writing, or math. And based on how many signs you check or you indicate that you've seen in your child, you can then determine whether further screening or evaluation might be needed. Um, And it will also customize resources for you on those areas that you've identified an interest in. So whether the student is learning at home now, whether they're at school, Parents can use it, educators can use it, pediatricians can use it, um, and it can be found at ncld.org slash LD checklist.
0: Great, that sounds like a pretty effective tool. So students of color are disproportionately impacted by identification for special education. Can you tell us more about this and how schools can prevent this from occurring?
1: Yeah, so the term significant disproportionality is often used here, and that refers to three trends that we see when we look at national data. First, students of color are disproportionately enrolled in special education when you compare them to their enrollment in generalist school populations. So in other words, schools are identifying higher rates of disability in certain groups of students, certain racial and ethnic groups of students. Second, students of color, once they are identified for special education, tend to be placed in more segregated settings. So this means they're spending less time in general education and more time separated from their peers. And then finally, students with disabilities who are students of color have a higher rate of discipline and they face harsher discipline for the very same behaviors that white students with disabilities would face. And this is not a simple topic to unpack in in the short time that we have today. So I would encourage everyone to read more about it on NCLD's website. I won't do a deep dive into the differing theories on why this is or what the research says, but you can find more information um, at NCLD.org. And it, we have a discussion of the role of income or poverty in identification, because we know race and income are highly correlated in our country. And we also have a breakdown of data on specific student groups by ethnicity, because the same trends are not apparent when you compare across, um, for example, Asian American students, Latinx students, Black students, right? There's, there's differences in the trends we're seeing. But the major takeaway here is that while IDEA is a critically important law and it gives students with disabilities essential protections, it gives them access to specialized instruction, um, it can also be an inadequate solution for students who don't actually have a disability and it's not always the right response for those students. So inappropriately placing children into special education can actually cause harm, particularly for students of color, students from low income backgrounds. Um, Because when you misidentify a student and they they kind of enter the special education track, they often are exposed to less rigorous curriculum, lower expectations, and fewer opportunities to succeed and, you know, transition to post-secondary education. So those are things we want to guard against. And particularly right now in light of COVID, as I was talking about the social emotional effects we're seeing on students, it's really important that we take time and very carefully determine what challenges we're seeing in our students and whether They have a disability and what setting is appropriate for them. If we know that COVID is adding additional stressors to students that could impact their learning, we need to be vigilant that we're not just kind of funneling students into special education, but really carefully looking at what's going on. The goal is to get the right supports to students if they need special education services, we should get that for them, but there may be other things we can do before we identify them for special education. Um, and so that's kind of uh, the impetus for releasing these documents. It's been a longstanding trend Um, In special education that we see students of color treated differently and identified at higher rates. And now I think is a really critical time, particularly in light of the systemic racism and racial injustice issues we're really examining as a country. I think this is an important time for schools to also look at the steps that they can take to address these problems and these trends in our schools.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like what you've just described feeds into the opportunity gap issue that we see in uh, students of color. So it further exacerbating it, in other words. Exactly. So the election has recently occurred. And in the 2016 election, only about half of eligible individuals with disabilities voted. We know that um, from the data from that election. Can you tell us about the Our Time, Our Vote campaign that NCLD organized this year, and what's that about?
1: So civic participation is at the heart of the disability rights movement, and so NCLD has worked to ensure that people with learning disabilities are engaged, informed, and prepared to participate in civic life, and voting is one part of that equation. As you said, only about half of eligible voters with disabilities participated in 2016, And half of those who didn't actually attributed it to their disability. That was kind of part of the reason why they didn't vote. And we know how how powerful that collective LD voice can be. And we need more champions um, at all levels of our government to understand disability and keep disability at the forefront when, when we're making decisions about our country. So we developed Our Time, Our Vote as a way to ensure that voters with learning disabilities had the resources, the information, and the tools that they needed to vote. So as part of it, we created resources um, to ensure that voters with LD know their rights. They know that they have the right to ask for accommodations at the poll. They have the right to have somebody accompany them if needed. Um, We created voting guides for individuals with disabilities um, and voting guides for organizations who support elections because oftentimes LD is not part of the a conversation or the types of disabilities you think about when you talk about accessibility at the polls. Not everyone understands you may need the ballot sheet read out loud to you if you have a reading disability. So mm-hmm. our goal was to really um, make sure people understood the needs of LD voters, that LD voters were informed, empowered, um, and that we came together as a community to take action and exercise the right to vote this year in a particularly important election.
0: Yeah, absolutely with making voting accessible in other ways and and attending to those additional layers of need potentially. Uh, Addressing the school leader perspective, how can school leaders and community members advocate for individuals with learning disabilities? What's a way that they can jump in and make a difference and contribute to those advocacy uh, needs? So
1: there, I mean, there's a range of ways to get involved in different places where you could step in. One of the biggest challenges I think the LD community faces is stigma. Part of the solution to eliminating that stigma is to get informed. No matter who you are, you can start by learning. The first step I would say is to get informed and help change those expectations, whether it's in your local community, whether it's in the workplace, it's it's something we need to to join together and really um, push for. And importantly, I think there's other small ways that you can take action. Special education is under, underfunded and it has been underfunded for decades. COVID-19 is making the budget crisis even worse at the state and local level for, for schools in general. So without enough funding, none of our students are going to get the supports and services that they need. You can send a letter. You can make a phone call to your state or federal representatives. You, If, if you're in a position on a school board or um, in, in the administration at a district level, you can also, you know, share your opinions there and and make sure you're talking about student groups who might need the most support during this time and how to prioritize funding for students with disabilities. And organizations like NCLD have standard letters that you can send by just clicking a button. So there's lots of easy ways that you can make your voice heard. And if you are involved and you want to advocate even more, we have toolkits that you can use to set meetings, to have conversations about Um, specific things that states and district leaders should be doing right now to support support students with LD. Um, You could talk about the kinds of professional development that educators should receive, how funding should be allocated, how to address things like the school to prison pipeline. I mean, there are so many ways and so many issues you can get involved on um, in connecting with organizations like NCLD or even local organizations um, is a great place to start to begin pushing for
0: change and supporting efforts wherever you might be. So it sounds like I was going to ask you where listeners can find more resources, and it sounds like it's your website. It sounds like your website is chocked full of a lot of great resources and just information. Um, And so can you say your website one more time for us? Yes. To learn more, to get involved, you can visit our website.
1: It's www.ncld.org. You can find our latest research reports. You can find updates on policy, tools for advocacy, and you can also find us
0: on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's awesome. Such an important topic. And I know we have just barely taken a little teeny dive into a sort of a range of topics, but I do appreciate you talking with us today about this. Um, such an important community topic really for everyone. So thank you, Megan. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Keystone Education Radio is a production of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. This episode is brought to you in part by Keystone Purchasing Network and School District Liquid Asset Fund. Visit our website at keyedradio.org for more information on today's discussion and past episodes on raging education-related topics. Subscribe, share, and follow us on social media so you can stay tuned to new topics and interviews. This is Annette Stevenson saying thanks for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.